Hello, friends, and thanks for joining me on this episode seven of the Unsunday Show. Really glad you're joining me again today. In this episode, I want to talk a little bit about preachers and preaching, or preaching and preachers, whichever way we want to put it. You know, in our institutional church models that we have set up all around us, we equate the preacher with a pastor. Those terms are used synonymous. We think, well, okay, here's Pastor Rick over here, which means that Rick is our preacher. And the verbiage that we use is that because he's a pastor or she's a pastor, he or she is the preacher. But I want to look into Scripture. I want to look into the New Testament and see if that holds true there. And let's talk about preaching and and preachers. And along the way, we're going to unfold what I think uh, Timothy, or excuse me, what Paul meant when he told Timothy to preach the word in 2 Timothy 4.2. And so as we talk about preachers and preaching, the concept of the word of God is going to unfold for us in the New Testament as well. And we'll be asking the question simultaneously, does, does the New Testament use the phrase, the word of God, to describe scripture? And if so, let's Let's conform to that, and if not, let's ask the question, well, how does it refer to the phrase, the Word of God? When, when the phrase, the Word of God, appears in the New Testament, what's in view? Is it the whole Bible, or is it something else? So, let's explore that. You know, as I just mentioned, Paul did instruct Timothy to preach the Word. That's in 2 Timothy 4.2. But in our institutional church model, this is usually assumed to mean expository, verse-by-verse teaching through the Bible, or some variant of expository preaching. That's the model that we have, and I think we, we impose that model back onto passages like 2 Timothy 4.2, and we say, well, Paul said preach the Word, and so what he meant is get up and give a lecture uh, verse by verse, or you know, some kind of subject matter. Uh, you know, get get up and and give that lecture for thirty, forty minutes, an hour, whatever it is. And we superimpose our modern day church model onto that passage. But is that what Paul meant? I, th- I think it's important that we back up the cart for a minute and take a second look. You know, I was taught early on as a as a new Christian. I was taught that that Timothy was a pastor and that Paul was writing to Timothy to give him instructions on how to do church as the pastor. And again, I think we superimpose our model of the one pastor uh, leader, the CEO model that we have. In so many of our institutional settings, we superimpose that back onto Timothy, and we say, well, Timothy was a pastor, and so that meant that he was the go-to guy in the institution. But I think it's important as we start off to ask that question, was Timothy a pastor? As I mentioned a moment ago, you know, we think of pastors as the preachers in the institutional church. And because we consider them that way, they carry the burden of, of preaching the word, thinking that, you know, or supposing that the Bible is what's referenced by preaching the word. But it, it never ceases to amaze me how that we've taken that word pastor that appears once in the New Testament, and we've institutionalized it. We've made pastors a central figure in our religious institutions without questioning why. We're told the pastor preaches and that our job is to hear and obey. I can also say that because it's assumed that Timothy was one of those pastors, we call the letters bearing his name, First and Second Timothy, along with the letter to Titus, pastoral epistles. We, we view them really as sort of pastoring handbooks or pastor manuals for the proper way to do church. 
But the problem with that is that there's nothing in the New Testament that would lead us to conclude that Timothy was a pastor. The New Testament is silent on that. There's nothing there. I believe that tradition has given us that idea, not scripture. I think that top-heavy church tradition steeped in man-made top-down authority perpetuates that idea. It's not in scripture. Think about it. If those with supposed authority want to keep that authority, and, and most of them do, what better way than to put poor Timothy in the same category as they themselves, or as they view themselves, and then insist that verse-by-verse preaching of the Bible from the pastor behind a pulpit is biblical, and I'm using air quotes, because Paul told Timothy, quote, preach the word, end of quote. And in that setting, the meaning of, of preach the word, again, is to preach the Bible from a podium and instruct the laity on what they need to be doing and believing, especially as it relates to the perpetuity of the institution and the preacher's tight grip on their top-down authority. That's what I did, and I thought I was right, because I was trained to think I was right. I acknowledge that there's exceptions out there, but I'm being, I'm being a little more candid here just, just to make my point. So let's look at this idea of preachers and preaching in Scripture, in the New Testament. You know, I want to start here. First of all, Paul claimed those titles for himself. He said he's a preacher and a teacher and an apostle. I'm thinking of passages like 1 Timothy 2.7, where Paul said, For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. And so Paul claimed these for himself. He said, I'm a preacher. He said, I'm an apostle. He said, I'm a teacher. I'm a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. And then in the second letter to Timothy, and I'm thinking 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8-12, through 12, if you want to look it up, Paul said this, Therefore do not be shamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day that which has been entrusted to me. Did you catch what he said right in the middle of that? He again says that he was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. And he tells us why. He tells us it's an order to bring the message of the gospel that he's preaching our Savior Christ Jesus, who, quote, abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, end of quote. In other words, Paul is associating his preaching with the preaching of the gospel, not with mounting a pulpit every Sunday and proclaiming some kind of a message, but with preaching and preaching the gospel. And he says, it's for the, the gospel's sake that I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. It's all centered around the gospel message. It's all centered around bringing the gospel to those in need of the gospel, which is all of us, those who don't know Christ. It's the message of salvation and of how we come to have a relationship with him. For those of us who do know Christ, it's a daily reminder. It's a constant reminder of the it is finished message of the gospel. And, and Paul was a preacher who preached the gospel. But he wasn't alone in that. 
If we look at Acts chapter 5 and verse 42 at the early church, Luke in his narrative tells us there, And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. They did not cease teaching and preaching. What were they preaching? They were preaching Christ Jesus. They were preaching the gospel. What were they teaching? They were teaching the gospel. And so all of those early disciples were going from house to house teaching and preaching the gospel. And then it continues later on in Acts chapter 8. We're told this in verses 4 and 5. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. This is where we're going to start tying these two things together. They were all scattered about in Acts 8, 4, preaching the word. And then verse 5 says, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. Did you catch that? The preaching of the word in the book of Acts, chapter 8, verses 4 and 5, is the preaching of Christ. It's the preaching of the gospel. He's not talking about preaching the Bible. Philip didn't take the Bible with him because, there, number one, there weren't any, and no one really carried around scrolls of the Old Testament at that time. Add on to that the illiteracy rate, which is quite high. And we see that Philip didn't go about preaching the Bible. He wasn't taking the book of Leviticus apart for them and doing verse-by-verse exposition out of the book of Numbers or out of Job or anything like that. No, the verse itself tells us that he proclaimed to them the Christ, which was equated with preaching the word. In other words, preaching the word in Acts 8, 4, and 5 is preaching Christ. It's preaching the gospel. And then a few verses later, toward the end of Acts chapter 8, where we find Philip again, and the text tells us this. It says, But Philip found himself in Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So Philip preached, but he preached the gospel. Paul preached, but he preached the gospel. Paul was a preacher, and he preached the gospel. In fact, he even said that to the the Romans, to the Roman church. In chapter 1, verse 15 of the book of Romans, he says, I am, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Who's he talking to? Well, his letter is addressed primarily to believers. Now, within every group of believers, there's always some who don't believe, who are just there. If you're in a church and you think everyone in that physical church is a believer, you might want to reconsider that because there's always unbelievers there, and thank God there are because they need to hear the gospel too. And Paul said, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you. He didn't say, I'm eager to come and lay on some kind of a heavy, thick Sunday morning message to help you understand expositionally and verse by verse what some obscure Old Testament passage says. No, he said, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to preach the gospel, the simple gospel. And the book of Acts equates the simple gospel with that phrase, preaching the word. You remember that beautiful passage in Romans 10, and I'm thinking verse 14 through 17, where Paul said, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him on whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Good question. And Paul continues, How are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. In other words, they have not all believed. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? And then verse 17 is beautiful. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. I remember an old translation. It might have been the old King James Version. That's kind of what I cut my teeth on as a a new Christian. There weren't a lot of other choices out there at the time. I think that it's one of them that says, so faith comes, comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of God. And some have equated that with the Bible. 
that faith comes by hearing the word of God, but that's not what the passage says. It says, saving faith, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Literally, hearing a speech about the Christ, hearing a message about the Christ. It's the gospel that stirs up faith. It's not the Bible. It's the gospel that stirs up faith. It's not the book of Leviticus. I'm not dissing the Bible. That's not what I'm doing at all. I just want to add some clarity. I want to look at these New Testament passages and see how they handle that phrase, you know, preaching the word, preaching Christ, and ask ourselves, does the, does the New Testament itself ever use the phrase word of God in reference to scripture? So that's what we're going to look at. I just want to take an honest, unpartial look at it as much as we can. You know, First Timothy 5.17, Paul said, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. And again, I think this is a verse that we superimpose our modern-day uh, model on, our top-down structured model. And we take that and we superimpose it back onto First Timothy 5.17. And we say those who labor in preaching and teaching are those who mount the pulpit every week. But I think Paul's words in the, in the context of everything that we're looking at will lead us in a different direction, that that preaching and teaching is preaching and teaching Christ. Remember, the Bible wasn't written yet, and there were no podiums. There were no pulpits, and nobody was in those pulpits because there weren't any pulpits. But really, the life of the church at that time, the life of the ecclesia, was every believer functioning as a priest. When you come together, every one of you has something to share, Paul told the Corinthians. That's the ecclesia. That's the functioning of the body of Christ. And central to that functioning of the body of Christ are those laboring and teaching and preaching Jesus. Since we're in the Timothys, let's take a look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, where Paul said, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Did you catch that? What's, what's Paul doing? What's Paul doing in prison? Well, he's in prison because he preached the gospel. He's suffering, he says, because he preached the gospel. And then he gives us crazy analogy. He says, I'm bound with chains, but the word of God is not bound. Is he talking about the Bible? No, he's talking about the gospel. He's talking about the gospel in that context that he just said, I'm preaching the gospel and I'm in prison because I've been preaching the gospel. I'm suffering because I've been preaching the gospel. I'm stuck in these chains in this dirty, cold, filthy prison, but the gospel is not bound. God's word, the message of God, Jesus, the, the, the message of Jesus, halagos to theu, is not bound. The word of God is not bound. He's not talking about the Bible. He can't be. There weren't any. You know, we have a few different Bibles around our house, and the one that I'm looking at right now is, is sitting on the mantle, and then it's bound. It's there. It's not out moving around. It's right there. It's within the confines of that binding that it's sitting in. And it's just sitting there. It's not doing anything. It's just sitting there. But when the gospel is preached, as we'll see in just a few minutes when we get a couple of verses down in here, further down in here, when the gospel is preached, we find out that the gospel is not bound by our circumstances. And I think that's all Paul's referring to. You know, we've talked a little bit in this episode and in past episodes about how I don't think that Timothy and Titus are, are were pastors. There's nothing in Scripture that would tell us that, and yet we call them pastoral epistles. But since we're in this section, let's look at Titus chapter 1 and verse 3, where Paul is talking about the gospel. 
And he says that at the proper time, it was manifested in his word through preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. And so Paul is again tying his preaching to the gospel. He's tying his preaching back to the message that sets us free, to the gospel of Christ Jesus. And in case you think Paul is alone in this, you know, Peter chimes in as well. I'm thinking of 1 Peter chapter 1, those verses 22 through 25, where Peter says this, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, in other words, you believe the gospel, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. Wow, did you catch that? And then in verse 25, he says, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word, what is the word of the Lord? What is the word of God? He's going to tell us right now in verse 25, this word is the good news that was preached to you. And so Paul's not alone in calling the word of God the gospel and equating the gospel with the word of God. Those phrases are synonymous in the New Testament in several places by several different authors. And so the word that was preached to you, Peter says, was the good news, which is the word of God. He calls it the living and abiding word of God. If you look at the book of Hebrews, you know, the book of Hebrews was written to a group of Jews, Hebrews, who were considering uh, coming to Christ, who had heard the gospel over and over again, but were having a real struggle with their Judaism that they had grown up in. And were really questioning things and, you know, had, had heard the gospel, had tasted of the gospel, is the phrase that the writer of, of Hebrews uses, that they've tasted of this message of the gospel, but they hadn't embraced it. The whole point of the letter was to convince those who had heard the gospel to come all the way in, to believe, to embrace it, to believe the gospel. And in Hebrews 6.5, the writer of Hebrews says that they've tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. Is he talking about the Bible? I don't think so. He's using the phrase, the word of God, but he's not talking about the Bible. What's he talking about? He's talking about the same thing that Paul's been talking about, that Peter's been talking about. He's talking about the gospel. You've tasted of the word of God. You've tasted of God's message. You've tasted of Jesus. You've tasted of the gospel and the powers of age of the age to come. Please don't turn away. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. A couple chapters earlier in Hebrews, in chapter 4, verses 9 through 12, the writer says this, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, just as God rested from him, or from his, excuse me. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Now listen to this. For the word of God is alive, living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And again, that's Hebrews 4, 9 through 12. The disobedience that he's talking about is the example that he had just given them of the children of Israel about to enter the promised land under Joshua's leadership that many didn't believe. And because they didn't believe, many of them didn't enter in. And the writer of Hebrews is taking a lesson from Hebrew history that these people would be very familiar with and saying, look, don't fall by that same disobedience. In other words, he's talking about unbelief. The only sin that's mentioned in the book of Hebrews is the sin of unbelief. 
And he's saying, don't remain in that unbelief, in that state of unbelief, but believe. Why? Because the Word of God is living and active. Is he talking about the Bible? In what way is the book of Leviticus living and active? Or even the book of Numbers. In what way is, if, if he's talking about the Bible, in what way is the Bible sitting on my mantle active and sharper than any two-edged sword? Couple that with the fact that when the writer of Hebrews wrote this, there were no Bibles. It, it wasn't there. I think, again, what we do is we take what we know and we superimpose it back on Scripture. The writer of Hebrews is saying, come into, the, come into rest. Quit working. Quit striving to be accepted by God and simply believe. Because the Word of God, the message of God, the gospel is active. Remember, Paul said it can't be bound. Paul said, I'm in chains, but, but the Word of God, the gospel, is not bound. The writer of Hebrews is saying basically the same thing. It's living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to divide soul and spirit and, and joints and marrow and discern your thoughts and intentions of the heart. Remember when Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit with his disciples in the Gospel of John? And he said when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. This is an expansion, I think, of that verse. This is a further ex explanation of Jesus' words to the disciples. When the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to convict the world of unbelief. He's not convicting you, Christian. He's convicting the world of unbelief and of judgment and of righteousness. Why? How? Because the, the message of the gospel is sharper than any two-edged sword, and the Holy Spirit takes that message of the gospel and wields that thing in such a way that he, he convicts people of their sin. He convicts people of their awayness from God, that they're not near God. And he brings them close. He opens their eyes to see. And it's that gospel message that the Holy Spirit takes to discern thoughts and intentions of the heart, i.e., he convicts the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Well, thanks for sticking with me on that portion, because we looked at some scripture there. I wanted to just lay some foundational thoughts for you about preaching and, and preachers and, and how that the phrase the Word of God is used in context of the gospel, not used in context of the canon of Scripture, not used in context of the Bible that we carry under our arms or on our smart device as we enter the building Sunday after Sunday. No, the Word of God in the New Testament is the gospel. So let's do a quick recap. Paul said, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. So he's talking about the gospel, right? The gospel that he preached. He's a preacher. What did he preach? He preached the gospel. And that those who receive the gospel are standing in the gospel and being saved by the gospel. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. In other words, the word that I'm preaching is the gospel. That's in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 and 2. I want to take you to two more places, and then we're going to draw some conclusions and start to wrap a ribbon around this. Paul also said to the Thessalonians, chapter 2, verses 9 and, and verse 13, he said this, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we work night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. So he's talking about the gospel, right? Then he continues, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, 
you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. And so the, the, the gospel of God that, that Paul has, has preached to the Thessalonian churches, he is saying, is the word of God, that the Thessalonians received the message as it really is. It was the word of God, and it's at work in you believers. Did you catch that too? The gospel is at work in you believers. We don't leave the gospel. The gospel isn't the thing that gets us into the kingdom and then we set it aside and go on to the deeper things of God, and I'm using air quotes. No, the gospel is the very message of God, and it's at work in you who believe, Paul said. Wow. And so to the Thessalonians, the phrase, the gospel of God and the word of God are synonymous with one another. The gospel of God is the word of God, and the Thessalonians, quote, received it as it truly is, the word of God, end of quote. One more place on this that I want to take you, and that's in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where Paul said this, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it's the power of God. For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. What did Paul preach? He preached Christ crucified. There's no hint, there's no indication anywhere in the New Testament, in the early ecclesia, that there was any kind of a weekly lecture that went on, as we have today in so many of our institutions. We read that back into that, and we say, well, you know, Paul told Timothy, preach the word, and so we need to make sure that we mount that pulpit every week, and we preach the word. But listen, the word Paul preached was the message of Christ. It was the word himself. It was Jesus. In, in Paul's own words, the word is synonymous with the gospel. It's not a reference to the canon of Scripture. And again, I'm not dissing Scripture. I'm just saying that isn't how it's used in the New Testament. Far from most of today's expository preaching that's really designed to extract behavior modification or moral conformity or a higher commitment to the institution through the tools like guilt and shame, with the pastor's authoritative message kind of central, the gospel does just the opposite. It liberates those who find themselves under such control, and it sets them free to enjoy life without condemnation, to just get to be who they are. That's a message I need to hear, and I need to hear it from every passage of Scripture. But that kind of freedom threatens the institutional church, because their control is, is paramount. <laughs> Well then, how does the New Testament refer to the rest of the Bible? How does the New Testament, when the New Testament's making reference to the Bible, to the Bible that we have in our hands, how does it do that? Well, the way that it does that is that it uses the word scripture or scriptures. You know, Paul in chapter one, talking about what God had promised beforehand through his prophets, he says it was in the Holy Scriptures, Romans 1, 2. Romans 4, 3 says, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And Paul continues in Romans 9, For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, and on and on. And then chapter 10 of Romans, For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Do you see a pattern developing here? And we're just in the book of Romans. I won't bore you with all of these. Just a couple more. 
Paul said this to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15.3. He said, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture. In other words, I delivered to you the thing that was of first importance, and that's the gospel. I delivered to you the gospel because that's the most important thing, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. Which scriptures is he talking about? He's talking about the Old Testament. The New Testament hadn't been written yet. He was writing it as he wrote this. He was writing a good chunk of it anyway. And so the the, the New Testament refers to the Old Testament as the scriptures. To the Galatians, he said this in Galatians 3.8, that the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you all nations will be blessed talking about the superiority of the new covenant over the old and that the old covenant has no place within the new covenant, Paul told the Galatians in chapter 4 and verse 30, he asked this question, what does the scripture say? And then he quotes scripture, cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. In End of quote. In other words, the, the context there is that the old covenant brings slavery, but the new covenant brings freedom, and the two cannot be mixed. But Paul doesn't say, what does the Word of God say? No. He says, what does the Scripture say? He told Timothy, getting back to Timothy for a second, he said, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Previously, in Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, Paul said this, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And so when we think about his words to Timothy, about devoting himself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation and to teaching, he was talking about the hope that is there, the hope that we see in scripture. Why? Because the Old Testament was about Jesus. The Old Testament was the veiled form of the gospel now being revealed. And then Peter, in talking about Paul, in Second Peter chapter 3, and verse 16, He says, there are some things in them, that is in Paul's letters, that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. So what am I saying in this episode? Well, I'm just trying to point out the fact that when we talk about preachers in the New Testament and the message being preached, it has nothing to do with pulpits, it has nothing to do with authority, in terms of a, of a hierarchy, of a, of a top-down structure that you know must be submitted to and obeyed. It's, it's talking about the gospel. It's talking about the, the liberating message of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins. And Scripture uses that phrase, you know, preaching, preaching the gospel, preaching the Word of God as preaching the gospel. The phrase, the Word of God, in several instances that we saw, is synonymous with preaching the gospel. It's synonymous with the gospel. The Word of God in the New Testament is is a reference to the gospel. I mean, you can look up those passages too. There, there are many more that I didn't bring to you because that would just get really dry. But I think that this is something that we misunderstand in our modern-day settings is that we take this phrase, the Word of God, and we use it to guilt one another into conforming to what we think the, the message ought to be in that particular passage. Or we guilt one another into supporting whatever the institutional thing says that we're to support. 
whether we guilt people through trying to convince them to tithe or or some kind of conformity to some external rule in order to uh, further advance the institution, whatever the cause is, whatever the case is. Again, we take our modern-day model of institutional church and we impose it back on these verses. But the New Testament doesn't use the phrase the Word of God to refer to the Bible. It uses it to refer to to the gospel, to the message of the gospel, to Jesus Christ himself. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's a reference to the gospel, which frees us and doesn't bind us. Jesus said this to the disciples in John chapter 15, just before his death. He said, already you are clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Now that word that he spoke to them wasn't a Bible study. He wasn't having Bible studies with them. But the word that he had spoken to them was the message of the gospel that cleanses. And that's how the New Testament uses that phrase, the word of God. That's how the New Testament uses the idea of preachers and preaching. But we've kind of twisted that thing up, and I think we've missed the mark on it a little bit. So this episode's going a little bit long, and other than listening to me drone on, I'm sure you have many other things to do. So I will let you go, and thanks for joining me, and until next time, bye. (laughs) 